Hi and hello, Watch fans, and welcome to episode 58 of Fratello On Air, otherwise known as Wasp 9.1. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, watching sports and sporting watches has gone decimal. I'm Rob, your host, calling in from Dresden, joined today by my mighty compadre Balaj, phoning in from his hometown page in Hungary. Today we'll be diving back into our heaving mailbag and answering another one or two of your questions each. Let's first welcome our intrepid traveller to the smooth booth, one half of the internationally lauded presenting duo, the newly christened Fridge and Freezer, Balaj. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Yeah. I'm good, man. How are you? I am. I'm so cool. I'm freezing. Unbelievable. Oh, oh. that's a nice one. Well, you got it's to also a cheap one, but... Yeah, now, I have to write this down. It's such a great joke. Let me write this down. Just low hanging fruit. So, if anybody missed our previous episode nine, uh, it was an, an eventful episode where we went through our mailbag and uh, read out some of our readers' questions to us. Uh, sorry, our listeners' questions to us. Go listen to it. It's great. And that's where yeah. our nickname, our new nickname, Fridge and Freezer, came from. You got to go check it out because it is. It's almost impossible to believe so i won't i won't steal any more airtime explaining how that came about please dive back into that episode give it a listen and you'll also notice something else about that episode i made a mistake so this does happen more often than i'd like to admit and i was pulled up by one of our listeners john joe parker he wrote in to let me know that i'd made a mistake when i described murder ball as wheelchair basketball this is not correct so murder ball is played on a basketball court but it's really more like a blend of rugby, ice hockey, and handball rules, and a bit of basketball. So it's more commonly described as wheelchair rugby, or murder ball. So I did a quick Wikipedia search to bring our readers up to speed on this fascinating sport, if you've not heard of it before. And this is what I found out. All wheelchair rugby players need to have disabilities that include at least some loss of function in at least three limbs. Although most have spinal cord injuries, players may also qualify through multiple amputations, neurological disorders, or other medical conditions. Players are assigned a functional level in points, and each team is limited to fielding a team with a total of eight points. It's played indoors on a hardwood court, and physical contact between the wheelchairs is an integral part of the game. It was created to be a sport for persons with quadriplegia in 1976 by five Canadian wheelchair athletes, and in the late 1980s, the name of the sport outside of the United States was officially changed from murder ball to wheelchair rugby, and in the United States, the sport's name was changed to quad rugby. The sport has had full medal status since 2000 Summer Paralympics in Sydney, Australia, and there are now 25 active countries in international competition with several others developing the sport. So I apologize for getting that wrong. I really uh, didn't mean to. I've actually only watched it in passing and saw it on a basketball court and just assumed that's what I was watching and saw the name pop up. So there we go. I learned something new. I hope our listeners did too. But Lars, did you know anything about murder ball and the nature of the game? Zero. Of course, I know what the game is, but I was not aware of this, what you just listed. So it's pretty cool. I've seen it. I've seen it in you know movies, and I, I knew about the sport, but I didn't know about the rules. And I have to say that I'm not too keen on trying it out either, because it looks <laughs> like a, a rather vicious game. Um, unfortunately for you, Jonjo had a question that you fielded us while he was making this correction. So he said, if we were able to form our own murder ball team, firstly, what would we call it? What color would the kits be? Because he knows we like that. He listened to, I don't know what episode it was, episode six or seven when we did the jersey thing. And which watch sponsor would you have for your team? So do you need a moment to think about this? Can you come up with an answer off the top hmm. of your head? So we need a watch sponsor or a brand. We need a, um, 
a color combo, probably, preferably, two colors. Mm-hmm. And we need a, a name. Okay. No, that, that's good. We can do that. You're good to go? Mm-hmm. Go ahead, then. Tell me what you got. Let's start with the colors, right? Yeah, I would go with um, like a deep green and black combination. Black being the base color with some green elements on it. Okay. I think that could look quite cool, you know? A pretty murky, murky jersey to start Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's nice, you know? I like the, um, I like the, the jersey of uh, the Nets as well as the Raiders. I like the black, black being the base color. And oh, I don't yeah. like it when they pair it with like purple and pink and that kind of stuff. Uh, but with the deep green, like a not olive green, you know, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. a like a like a football like a football field green, deep, beautiful, deep, rich green color. So kind of like that the could be a nice York, one. New York Jets third jerseys, the new ones, the black with the sort of mm, orange green color. Yes, in a way, but even even deeper green, like more vivid. So that could be nice with a tiny bit of white elements. That could be nice. Could be a nice jersey. All right, I'm with so you. So that man. would be my pick: black, green. Tiny, teeny, tiny bit of white. What sponsor? So I was thinking if we could have a brand and preferably a model that I would like to have Armin Ström sponsor us and the Mirrored Force Resonance watch. Because if you remember, we're talking about wheelchairs. We're sitting in a wheelchair. So if you know them, of course you do know the Mirrored Force Resonance by Armin Ström. It's a round watch with the two times and then you have i mean the one time but you have the 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 resonance movement which is a lot of circles going around and i think that's that's a pretty nice visual homage to the game what do you think about that one i think that's a really neat choice actually it's really out there i think did you not pick that one for um march mania was it in your group no, no, it was yes, it was um, it was an arm instrument, but it wasn't the mirrored the mirrored force resonance. What I uh, picked for March Mania was the one that I reviewed, and that was the System seventy eight, the Gravity Equal Force, and that one had which a, is like it's kind of an aubergine sort of dial setup, right? Right, exactly, uh-huh, exactly. Uh-huh. That's the simple version. That's like the entry level version. And the mirrored force resonance is basically a resonance movement. As you as a watchmaker, I don't have to explain to you what a resonance movement is. You basically have two movements and they work separately and then they're combined um, or the information from the movement is combined and hence it's a much more accurate mechanical movement. Kind of like a, um, a different take on the tourbillon concept to try and eliminate any poise errors. Right. I think it's a, it would be a cool watch. I've just changed my uh, my choice of watch now. While you were talking, I had one in mind. I'll tell you what I was both thinking of. So, I as as it probably won't come as any surprise to you or our listeners that I spend a lot of time fantasizing about sports teams that don't exist. Um, not FC Richmond. I definitely don't spend any time thinking about that. AFC uh, Richmond. AFC Richmond. Oh my god! Every week I make some AFC Richmond related faux pas. But no, I don't. Still spend- waiting for my jersey. All right, I'm sure it's on its way soon. Um, I don't think about them at all, but I do think about sports teams I would like to found and like to join because I can't get anyone else's sports team these days. I have to make up my own. So I was thinking of starting my own basketball club in the little tiny part of Dresden where my office is located, which is called Trachau. And I wanted to give it a cool name and I like alliteration. So I called this team the Trachau Teufel in uh, homage to my Manchester United fandom. So Teufel is like devils or devil. And my logo was like Hellboy in a, with a big hammer, Ooh. like in red and yellow and black. But the jerseys were just super dark charcoal gray with like 
really bright yellow numbers and black outlines. And then you just had this like nice embroidered Hellboy style logo on the uh, on the breast. So I just port that straight over to Murderball because it's, it's right there waiting for me. And I think it's a pretty cool threatening colorway. One that uh, would look nice on the court against your boys. Although, um, yeah, it would just be numbers picking us out from one another, I think, because we both went for really dark bases. That's my team. That's my kit. And I was going to give them the Citizen Promaster 1000, mm-hmm. it's called, isn't it? The one with the massive shuriken-style bezel, because it, it looks absolutely lethal. But when you were talking about the, the way you'd picked the uh, Armin Strom because of the circles on the dial, I was immediately reminded of um, Archer. And Archer has those amazing uh, spinning uh, spoked dials, which look just like the wheel of a wheelchair. And they would move like crazy while guys are like, you know, pushing the wheels to get across court to chase the ball or to chase down a competitor. And I think that would look absolutely awesome. Um, the model in particular that I'm thinking of is called... Wait, why are you looking for it? So you would call the team Devils or Teufel, so German name or English name? It's got to be the German because it's got to be alliterative with mm-hmm. Trachau. I could change it to the Dresden Devils, I suppose. That might be easier. So I could have I could have two names. I could have one name. I could have one that name. Would be nice. The Dresden Devils. Dresden Devils. Yeah, oh, that's very cool. The Trachau Teufel. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I just Sit thought. That, well, okay, right. So I live in Germany. So the majority of the people I meet over here are surprise, surprise Germans. And so I thought, if I'm going to convince mm. anybody to be on my basketball team, maybe they would be enamored by this quaint little Mancunian that decided he wanted to name the team after Manchester United, but had at least the wherewithal to do it in German. I thought that might like appeal. I thought they might be like keen to play with me. Okay. Well I see your I see your thought process. I don't necessarily agree with it, but that's another question. I'm building bridges. Well you're looking for your watch. Do you want me to tell you my the name of my team? Yes, I do. I do. So my team is going to be the Fratello Column wheels. Boom! <laughs> the Fratello column wheels. The Fratello column wheels. Oh, I like How it. How about that? Well, I like it. I'm just imagining the mascot. So my mascot's really obvious because it's just a massive, it's a massive devil. It's a guy in a big devil suit. And yours is what? Like a column wheel. Mine is a, mine is a, no, mine is a, <laughs> no, mine is a typical Italian guy dressed <laughs> as a watchmaker. What? You know? So he would have like a big bowl of pasta in one hand and he would have like a, like a, I don't know, a set of screwdrivers on the other end, a loop on his forehead, on his black olive oiled forehead, I mean hair and forehead. And uh, he would be a bit short, kind of well built, thick mustache. So wait, my mascot is basically Mario from Mario Kart. Uh, yeah, that sounds... Dressed that sounds as a watchmaker, not as a plumber. I, I, but what's the connection? Between what? Fratello and column wheels? The Fratello thing. So you just have two... Well, because it's my team. (laughs) Because it's my team, man, and I'm I'm Team Fratello. So I'm I'm stealing the name from from us. Okay, so it's just... I'm not going to call it the the Karlsruhe column wheels, although it's just as cool as Dresden Devils, Karlsruhe column wheels. That is pretty cool. I I do like... KC and DD... It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, okay, I understand. So you're going for the sort of the brother thing because of the... Yeah, well, the, the so you've got, yeah. you've got two like sort of portly Itan- Italian gentlemen on the sideline just like cheering on in like really thick Could Italian. Be. I like and Giving the hand gesture, you know, yeah. like the what are you doing hand gesture with all yeah. 10 fingers know? pointing yeah. at each other. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, all right. Okay. That's pretty cool. Um, I found the watch I was looking for. It's called the Artia Race. And it's got like this, mm-hmm. this awesome spoked um, rotor weight on the front of the dial. So like uh, the time is legible through these spokes. Not particularly legible to be fair, but it is really more of a statement piece. And it's actually one of the more, um, how can we put this? palatable watches Archie makes because he, he obviously does try and you know Ivan Apa he tries to push the boundaries of like uh, design and uh, style and some of his stuff is uh, pretty extravagant and pretty out there and uh, for a discerning and particularly clientele and there's nothing else like it you know the people that like Artie love it absolutely love it those that don't really don't it, it looks like a early wheels from what are those cars like like those 1920s Oh, car wheels yeah yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's not specific to any brand maybe it's just the era some of them look like that but it, it's but actually pretty cool i have to say i like the black one the black and blue pvd black with the blue uh leather strap black stitching uh, uh, sorry black strap blue stitching blue sides case sides yeah. and then blue uh dial and they also have it in red those are nice ones yeah, he does. He does a lot of good work with the cases, and I think that's quite a quite an interesting one from a sculptural perspective. So, uh, Roberto, quanta costa this watch? Good question. I think it's probably about six or seven. Nine nine zero zero C H. Yeah. Oh well, that's the black one, right? Mm. Surely the plain. That's the black one. Surely the yeah, plain one's a little bit one. cheaper. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so it's a, it's a pricey, it's a pricey do, but it's a, it's a cool looking thing. And like I say, it looks like nothing Very else. Cool. If you like it, great. And it's perfect for this. Absolutely perfect. Moving on from Murderball, we are going to next tackle a question that you've picked from the mailbag, so why don't you go ahead and hit me with that? Right, so this one comes from Charlie Schwartz, and he's writing us from Perth, or Perth, well, that's the Scottish pronunciation, right? But he's writing us from Perth, Australia, so probably not Perth, but Perth, Australia. And he says, or he asks you, not me, who is your favorite living modern watchmaker? Ooh, hmm. That should be a question. You answer like that. You know, it's difficult because there's there's a lot of good watchmakers. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's a lot harder to ask that question, like modern watchmaker than historical watchmaker, because we've got so many mm-hmm. virtuoso talents around now. I mean, you only have to go back thirty years, and you know, you mm-hmm. you're talking about the uh, recovery period from the quartz crisis. Who was there really that was leading the charge as a real like genuine luminary in that field there was george daniels really i, no, I don't see i don't see a huge amount i mean okay some of the some of the modern masters were already uh, on the road to that level 30 years ago but you know they were still young um yeah like kurt klaus for example was at the same time right right true, true, true and there's a couple more as well that slipped my mind at this moment but there was a couple sure. a couple of big guys around germany as well still turning mm-hmm. out some amazing stuff in in that dark era but there was kind of a dearth of talent before that because it just wasn't needed. People weren't training. And you notice it in the watchmaking industry now, there's this big gap. There's, um, there's a big hole in, in, um, in, in management ages. There's a big gap between the people because they weren't being trained going through as the industry was recovering from the quartz crisis. And now we have this wonderful, wonderful period where there's so many like technological innovators and uh, really extravagant artists on the go. It's hard to pick one. But having meandered my way through a bit of time to think uh i'm gonna say it's constantine shakim um mm-hmm. why is it him uh he always does something that makes me smile initially when i first encountered him i think the one that i first saw of his was the lunar cod 
And that one wowed me. Uh, since then, he has entertained me. I had the movie watch with the sort of zoetrope function where you could watch the horse galloping on the dial, powered by the second barrel. That was awesome. And then, of course, the Joker and the Rismon series followed, and Constantine was brought to an entirely new audience and a totally new character. And uh, the man himself got a chance to shine. And he's, he's a really characterful dude. He's obviously super intelligent. Um, very, very friendly, very nice, really humble, and just creative, the kind of soul that we want. You know, there's a lot of awesome, awesome watchmakers, technical maestros, but do they have that kind of uh, vim or vigor or flair or approachability that someone like Constantine does? I think that that's real, that's real talent when you can go to that level and be so cool about it. So yeah, he's my number one. What was the question? Ooh. So, well, that was one first part of the question. So my, my favorite living watchmaker is you, obviously. Oh, great, right. Slightly different strata from Constantine Jackin, but thank you. Yeah. Well, and my second favorite is another Brit, your fellow countryman. I think we both know who that is. Roger. Roger Smith, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Not only for his, for his um, talent, you know, and obviously George Daniels' uh, apprentice. Um, he knows a lot about, uh, about watchmaking. But uh, also because of the type of guy that he is, like a super nice, humble, soft-spoken, down-to-earth, really. And he doesn't have to be like that. I think he is just like that. We know in the industry that there are a lot of guys who <laughs> are, you know, amazingly talented watchmakers with, a, with an amazingly huge ego to, to match that. I'm not going to throw out names, but we all know the guy with who I'm talking about with the, the three-letter name. Um, and I'll leave the rest up to you. But Roger is really a very humble guy, and, and um, I, I like that very much about it. So, second part of the question. Favorite living watchmaker, a modern watchmaker, if you could take him to a ball game or a sports game, preferably one of the top four um, leagues, North American leagues, what game, who's playing, and why? That, I mean, why, why that game? Why those teams? So my, my gut instinct is always, is always to go baseball simply because I think it's the greatest sport to have a conversation uh, in and around mm -hmm. because you've got a lot of time. You're sitting there, you're drinking beer under the setting sun, gorgeous atmosphere. However, I picked Constantine and he is obviously a very famous Russian watchmaker. And we are major fans of the American sports leagues, as you know. So when I think American, I think Russia, I think football. <laughs> I think basketball. That, uh, uh, uh. No, you get in there. <laughs> of course, you know exactly what I'm driving. Wait, don't you? right. So the miracle on ice is like what springs to mind. So I think, right, it has to be an ice hockey game, and it should be the Olympics. And I think you would really enjoy that. I hope you would. Anyway, at the very least, you'd get to see some absolute superstars on the ice, and uh, I'd love it. It'd be awesome. So yeah, if if it were in a, an Olympic year, uh, which um, I guess next year which, will be uh, Winter Olympic yeah. year, right? So maybe mm -hmm. I'll I'll talk to him. I have actually exchanged a few emails with him recently because I'm keen to work with him on a on a special Fratello project, which I, I'm desperately trying to push through. But we'll see if that comes to mm -hmm. li comes to life. Um, but um, yeah, if uh, if we uh, can grab ourselves a couple of tickets for um, next year's Winter Olympics. Who knows? Maybe I could invite him. Maybe I could make the dream come true. Oh, for goodness sake, that'd be awesome. That might actually be able to happen. So would you take Russia against the USA or Russia against Canada? 
Well, I'm neither American nor Canadian, uh, so the most important thing would be Russia. So I would take Russia against any of the uh, of the major teams happily. In fact, I'd take him against an absolute bottom dweller and hope that it was like a nine nil thrashing, so that he was really happy afterwards. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, you know what? Give me any team, and I'll support Russia with him rather than taking the other side, and uh, that would be fine by me. So I'm looking at the roster uh, for the Russian national hockey team. And I have to tell you, there is one, two, three, four guys from St. Petersburg, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one guy from Cheska, Moscow, two, sorry, two guys from Cheska, Moscow, and everybody else is from the NHL. You get guys from the Tampa Bay Lightnings, the Devils, Ooh, Capitals, wow. okay. Lightning, Lightning, Capitals, Black Horse, Rangers, Islanders, uh, Blue Jackets, Penguins, Capitals, Capitals, Blue Jackets. So. I mean, basically, the Tampa Bay Lightning is, and the Washington Capitals is like a Russian team, technically. Whoa, okay, crazy. So, uh, they're one of the best teams in the league. So if they're playing together week in, week out, maybe they really are on the up and uh, ready to challenge yeah. for the gold next year in Beijing, it'll be the Olympics, the Winter Olympics. So Yeah, they're, they're, they're good. They are, but they never won an Olympic game. They came second in 1998 in Nagano, and they came in third in 2002 in Salt Lake City. And then the World Championships, 93, 2008, 2009, 2012, 2014, that's all gold. Uh-huh. 2002, 2010, 2015, silver, and 2005, 7, 16, 17, and 19, bronze. So, wow, not too bad. I think I have the Soviet Union men's national ice hockey team record in front of me for the Olympics. And if I'm correct, it's gold in 56, 64, 68, 72, 76, 84, and 88, silver in 1980, of course, and bronze in 1960. So a pretty glittering uh, record for the Soviets. Um, But there you go. That would be fantastic. So what about you? Where would you take Roger? Well, that's a good question. Probably to a pub. (laughs) Just just watch some like championship football on TV. Watch uh, Norwich against Brentford. Exactly. Yeah, lovely. Or AFC Richmond. Oh, of course. You couldn't get any better than AFC Richmond, the finest team in all of Soccer Ball's kingdom. If Indeed. If Ted Lasso's coaching, I'm game. Um, well, the problem with Roger is he lives on the Isle of Man, right? So it's very difficult to move him around. Oh, come on. Then that's the so, easiest answer in the world, right? You've got to go watch the TT together. Yeah. But do I want to watch that, though? Oh, I don't, I'm I not sure. I went. I went to watch it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I was hanging over the edge of the, uh, the track um, on those hay bales that they put on the corners in case people mm-hmm. were skidding off and watching the bikes go whizzing past on the straight. So it looked more dangerous what I was doing than it actually was because if they were going to come off, they already would have come off around the bend. I was 200 yards down the straight and the bikes were whizzing past at 200 miles an hour. It was absolutely amazing. Absolutely awesome. Awesome thing to see. Great engineering. And I almost won the rodeo, you, you know, the bucking Bronco thing. I came second in the, uh, in the contest, in, in the big tent back in Douglas. We went is out that night. Still talking about the same thing, or is it some one of your stag parties at the nightclub? It was a stag party. That's why we were there, actually. It was a stag do on the Isle of Man. We'd go, about 15 of us had gone over there for the TT. And after we'd watched the race, we went to the bars. And, you know, in the old days, <laughs> before COVID, when, uh, you know, these packed, like, beer tents and, you know, with no flooring, mm-hmm. just beer on the floor, they had a big rodeo bull, you know, the, the mechanical bull, mm-hmm. they call them. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd never been on one before. And I'm not a motorbike rider. I have had a bike in the past, but it was only a, um, a, a pretty tame cruiser. I've never been a, a sports bike rider. I had a go on it and I, and I hung on there for a couple of minutes 
and I was leading for, for many hours throughout the night, but then some, one of the pros came down, he got on it, and it was like he was super glued to the thing. It was unbelievable. Like the strength in his legs like it, from clinging to the bike it was unbelievable stuff to watch, and he smashed, smashed my time, um, but it was, it was great. Is there any video material of that? Are you riding the ball? Oh, that's a good question. I do think someone, I think one of the guys was filming it, but I mean, let me think, that was quite a while ago now, probably eight eight years. So, like that. Camcorder times. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, camcorder. Not, not quite, not quite, but it was a, it was a long time ago, yeah. Uh, I'll try and find out. That'd be funny to put that on the site if, uh, if it still exists. Yeah. But so where would you take him then? If you I don't should... want to take him to the TT, take him off the island and what? Mm, yeah, probably Premier League football game. Chelsea in London. Be nice. I like Chelsea. Do just you? imagine, just after after one of the Southern QP evenings, just instead of going to the pub, going to a Chelsea game, just like down the road, right? Yeah, just it is. take a left at the statue, walk about two miles, and you're there. Maybe five, four. It feels even closer than that, to be honest. I don't know how far it is to Stamford Bridge from. It's quite. I think it's quite close. Yeah, it does Chelsea, feel it the, does the feel stadium. just around the corner. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, God, the good old days. All right, was um was that that question? Did we knock that question on the head? Yes, I think we did. All right, so both questions, as a matter of fact. Okay, I've got I've got one more for you before we wrap up this uh, this Fast and Furious show. Okay, so um, my second question. This one comes from Carlton Ray with a W in Atlanta. He's a big Braves fan, big baseball fan, and he wants to know if we've firstly if we've ever visited the Peach State ourselves, and regardless whether we fancy grabbing a beer at a ball game with him next time we do. Very nice. Have you ever been to Georgia? Ever been to Atlanta? <laughs> I've, been, I've not been to Atlanta. I've been to <laughs> I've been to a Georgia. Not the state. Was she nice? <laughs> I know. I've never been to Georgia. No, no, not okay. the state. No, All not right. the state. No. Well, um, give Georgia my best next time you see her. If you ever do again, the state you mean, or <laughs> yeah. the country. Um, either either mm-hmm. one or the third option. Yeah, uh, any of them, fine, mm-hmm. fine. Ah, Georgia, what a name, always on my mind. Okay, uh, what does Calvin say? Oh, that's a great song. So, okay, we've been invited for a beer and a ball game. Next time we uh, dip cool. into Georgia. Um, so uh, I'd say yes, Calvin. Wait. We'd, yeah. I'm thinking about Georgia. I'm sorry to cut you off. I have to give right. a shout out to my main man, Wayne, in Georgia. Wayne, big yeah. Wayne. He knows who he is. Big Wayne, nice one. I actually have been to Georgia a few times. I don't know how many times. Six or seven times. Worked in Atlanta for a bit and actually went to this guy's local area. So he says, so he's a massive Braves fan. I've been to watch the Braves at SunTrust Park. I think it's changed its name now. Yes, it's called Truist Park, according to his email. Uh, he is a big fan of the food that they serve there, especially the hot dogs. Okay. Recently, he was attending a home game. He was one of the lucky lucky attendees. And he was sitting in his usual seat, eating a particularly tasty dog drenched in mustard when a foul ball caught him unawares and whistled past his ear, causing him to squeeze his hot dog so tightly that a big dollop of prime American mustard landed on his newly acquired Omega Seamaster Necton. Nice choice, eh? Mm. Mm-hmm. So cool watch. It is a cool watch, actually. It's, in fact, it's actually the closest to perfect Seamaster 300M that I've seen yet, I think. I just want it with an open case back. Give me a necktime with an open case back, and I'm sold. I love it. Now, he says, as you can imagine, the mustard got in every crack going, and the bezel of the necktime is, shall we say, not the most forgiving, because it's that forged titanium bezel with a laser ablated mm-hmm. diving scale. 
God, Omega love a bit of laser ablation these days, don't they? It's, it's everywhere. It's on all the dials, yeah. all the ceramic dials. I think it's it's really cool. Cool technique. So laser ablation, for any yeah. of our listeners that don't know, is when they use a laser to cut away material so you leave like a proud design in its place. You could use it for engraving because they do that on the uh, on most of the wave pattern dials. So on the standard Seamaster 300M, you have like a laser, we call it ablated because it's the same technique. Um, it's slowly like eroded. Um, so you get a really crisp edge and a really, really nice, deep, sharp side to uh, the, the recess. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's, that's deep down there. You can do it the other way around like they did on the Help me out here, okay? It was, I think, the 45th anniversary Omega Speedmaster Apollo 11 with the brown ceramic dial and the rose gold bezel and the brushed titanium case. Is it 45th? Am I close? From the top of my head, I have no idea. Okay, let's well, anyway, check it. I'll tell you what, listeners, if you want to check, yeah, out, if you want to check that out and if you want to call, call me out on that one, I know that Gerard is a big fan of it and he wrote a piece on it recently and I think he had it featured in the Speedmaster World Cup last year. So it was something like that, and they ablated the entire dial so that the numerals and the markers and the logo and the word mark were all standing up. So it was one solid piece dial, uh, and it had this really great 3D effect, and they did it because of this uh, a laser ablation technique, which is what they used on the Necton, which is why Carlton's watch is so susceptible to mustard ingress, okay? But mm-hmm. our friend Carlton is a sensible chap. He didn't panic. He took the watch straight to the bathroom at the end of the inning, of course, and gave it a quick rinse under the tap. It's a 300M. Totally fine to do that. Not going to damage it whatsoever. And he got all of the mustard out of the grooves. Now, Mm. uh, he wants to know, because this popped into his head as he was cleaning out this watch and he was thinking about Wasp. He's an avid listener, of course. He wants to know, what's the weirdest thing that you, Balaj, have ever Mm -hmm. seen on or in a watch during your career? No, I don't know anything about on. I know my, my watch, my watches went on to weird things, but we're not talking about maybe Georgia. Something you have to, we're not talking about Georgia. Have it, have it. <laughs> exactly. Maybe there's something you have to edit out. You'll, make, you'll make Eleanor in. jealous. You'll make Je- Eleanor from last episode very jealous. You can't do this, man. Heartbreaker. The Hungarian so, heartbreaker. Uh, I'm going to call him. He says, Come on, right. size. Right. So, it's not. Size. Not necessary, really not necessary. I'll cut it out, don't worry. But inside the watch, once I bought uh, an Angelus Chronodato from the US, which had a gold-plated case, and the watch looked pretty pristine, really. It, it almost looked new old stock. The case had no, like, flakings, you know, the, the gold plating was still intact. The dial looked nice. Everything really looked great for the watch, but it was not working. And at, it was sold as is. And I needed some parts, so I said, you know, I'm just going to go for it. Buy the watch, and maybe I can use some parts for the movement. It's an in-house movement, so it's pretty rare to, to find parts for the 217 caliber. And <clears throat> then the watch arrived, and uh, I took it to my watchmaker in Kastro. Shout out to Timo. And he opened it, and the movement looked beautifully clean, but it was still not working. So he started to take it apart. And he found a dead spider. Yes. Awesome. That is awesome. I was so hoping that something like that would come up. I was absolutely praying that you would have a story about a dead something or other inside yeah. the watch. Inside it was the watch. A dead spider inside the watch, uh, basically stuck or glued to the gear train. Ooh. Hence, it was not working. So he had to clean it and oil it. 
and um, the watch is, is you know started to work and it's it's been working fine. But the, the funny thing is, if you know the the chronodato, it has it's a chronograph, right? So you have two pushers that those are openings. You have a crown and then you have the correctors. Oh yeah. But the space there is so small. How does a spider or how big was that spider when it got inside the case? That is mega. So cool. Like yeah, that's, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, okay, the spider could have crawled in there the last time the case back was open. Maybe that's the most likely thing, but I reckon... And the, and the watchmaker never realized it, that there's a spider inside the watch? I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, what what era is this watch from? What year are we talking? This is... This is 50s. Okay. And the watch has... You know, it really has, has not been worn a lot, because you can see that it's pretty pristine. Because it's got a spider inside so, it, because it hasn't worked since it left the factory. May, because quality control was awful in the 1950s. I don't know what happened, but there was a dead spider inside. I even have a photo of it. There's a dead spider. And it was a big spider. So the spider, it's a, it's a spider went into the, not the water spot, but the, the watch case. Oh and it God. lived there, or I don't know, died there. Oh my God. And uh, the watch stopped working. And when Timo cleared out the, the whole thing, it just jumped back to life. This is amazing. The watch that is, not the spider. That is so cool. Wait, what? It, no. <laughs> it, it, was, it was properly dead, though, right? It didn't come back. No, the, the watch did, not the spider. Oh, right. It was, it was already a, <laughs> a mummy. Oh, right. Cool. Okay. I and mean, that's not cool. I like spiders. I like to save them from, from death when I can. But in that case, that's cool. That is awesome. What a way mm. to go. What a lucky spider. Man, if I could just crawl inside a massive watch case and just you know pass away beneath the balance wheel, I'd be quite a happy little bunny. That'd be great. Crazy, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's odd, odd stuff. It's uh, it's it's the perfect story. It was exactly what I wanted to say because I haven't I haven't got a story like that. I really wanted to have a spider story or a bug story or something that had gone in there when it was too small and then grew up while it was inside the watch and couldn't get out, feasting on the oil on a daily basis. I guess you know what that's not even impossible because if they were using like natural lubricants like animal grease in those days, then there would have been some nutritional value to it. It's not like it would have been synthetic oil back then. I guess so. Who knows? Oh, it could have been fifty fifty. Yeah. I suppose in the fifties. So. I had, I had a couple of, well, I got a list of horror stories from my time at the bench, but there's a couple that stick out to me that I thought might be interesting for the listeners. Um, one is, is a tragic situation. Um, we received on more than one occasion when I was working for Omega, watches that had been uh, worn by motorcyclists um, during a fatal oh. crash. And, oh. you know, the watch itself was a bit of a mess and they often had you know, bits of the rider attached oh, no. to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the case, oh, stuck boy. in the groove, stuck in the, you know, like it, or, or blood or, you know, a bit of flesh Oof. occasionally. And um, it's not pleasant, but, you know, it's not so, it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, we, there's a clean environment, there's ultrasonic tanks, you can clean it. Like, obviously, your mind is with the, the person, the family member that sent this watch in, um, because obviously they, they've experienced a terrible, terrible loss. Oftentimes you would find that the people sending these watches in, it wasn't like a regular occurrence. It wasn't like a weekly thing, but it happened three or four times in my time there over about two and a half years when we had watches that fit into this category broadly. The inheritors of the watch were very adamant that they didn't want the watch to be refinished. Uh, so they wanted like the, the marks and the scars and the battering, whatever it was, whether it's from the crash itself or whether it was just from the life of the person that had worn it. They wanted it to be honest. They didn't want it to be brought back to uh, shop standard 
And it's super important, and this is advice for anybody sending the watch in for service. If you don't want something to be done, make sure you specify it. Do not just send in a watch with instructions of what you want doing, because the default assumption will always be that you want the watch returning to pristine condition. Now, most brands will charge you extra for a refinish, but some, if they're confused or if, if it gets lost through the, the, the paper chain as the watch moves through the company, might just do a refinish to be on the safe side. If you don't want it, please make sure you specify it because on one occasion, one of these occasions, the woman who'd sent in her husband's watch, her late husband's watch, didn't specify that she didn't want it to be re- refinished. And somebody got confused in the admin department and just stuck it in for a refinish anyway. And she got the watch back and she was absolutely devastated. She was emotionally cut up as you would imagine because she hadn't wanted that to happen. She hadn't asked for it. She got it by accident. So do be clear. That is one piece of advice, a bit morbid. Don't worry. I'll bring it back to a a more jovial tone with the next one. The weirdest thing I've ever seen inside a watch, and it's probably weird because it was put there deliberately, is chewing gum. And Mm. can you imagine why I might have found chewing gum in the back of a watch, Balaj? Was it inside the movement? It was being used as a functional part of the movement, yeah. Okay, so I I know that sometimes you find blue tech in watches sent to us by brands because they want to block the balance, right? So the watch is, uh, watch is not working. So you can photograph it by setting the the, the hands ten past ten. Uh, sometimes I find little pieces of plastic in between just to block the the balance. So maybe it was like a chewing gum. They use it to 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 block the balance instead of a blue tech or this one of these gummy things. That is a really good answer, actually, and that's a, that's another interesting little look behind the curtain that maybe some of our listeners weren't privy to. Yeah, brands do do that for photography reasons. And sometimes it's really useful and sometimes it's really annoying because you want to film the watch running and you've got this little stopper in there preventing it from from moving. But that's oftentimes how you get like really nice, uh, say, loom shots of a a watch because you can, you have the watch frozen basically. So the second hand's not ticking. You can put it on a long exposure and you can leave the crown screwed in. So it looks like unnaturally bright loom. No, that's Mm -hmm. not the reason. Okay, so this had been done by a, I don't know how to put it, a fly-by-night cut shop kind of watchmaker. And what happened here is that he'd been trying to poise the balance by removing material from the balance. Now, you have to have your balance wheel and your hairspring perfectly in sync with one another so that the hairspring breathes evenly and uh, the balance oscillates for re- as regular an amplitude as possible in whatever position it finds itself. So you sometimes to do this, you poise the balance and if it hasn't got screws or adjustment weights, you can do it by removing weight itself from the balance of a little tiny screwdriver or a little tiny blade on the back of it. Now it's very important to do this bit by bit because you can't add material to the balance. You can always take more away, but you can't add material unless you happen <laughs> to have a packet of Hubba Bubba or extra in your rucksack because that's what this watchmaker had done. He'd gone too far. He'd gone like almost all the way through one side of the balance with his tiny screwdriver and he'd taken off way too much weight. So he thought there was nothing he could do, but he plugged the hole back up that he drilled with chewing gum. And I took this watch to bits and I was looking at this thing from the underside. Now, I have seen watchmakers even put dabs a very, very thick graphite grease on the outside of the balance wheel, not inside the holes they've already cut out, on the outside. And it makes an absolute terrible mess over time because the balance wheel is flinging around at like 280, 300 degrees amplitude, uh, several times a second, spraying this stuff everywhere over time as it starts to like lose its, mm-hmm. its stickiness. 
But this chewing gum idea actually kind of worked. It's never a good idea to put a fault into a watch to fix a fault. But in this case, it wasn't a total disaster. I do not advocate it. I took the, I took the chewing gum out and uh, plugged it up with some resin instead. At least it was a little bit more secure. But that was all that could be done because it was vintage. There you go. Weirdest thing I ever found in a watch. Very cool. So that spider and the chewing gum. The spider wins by a mile. Spider's absolutely awesome. Mm. I love it. Yeah. And if you look at your WhatsApp, I just sent you some photos of the movement. And you can probably see the dead spider inside the Angelus 217 movement. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yep. There you have it. Delightful. Well, readers, listeners, all comers. Thank you for joining us for a very short, very enjoyable, amusing, interesting, insightful Wasp 9.1. Now, while Balaj is on the road in Hungary, we're going to be uh, stopping in with the mailbag for the next two, three, four weeks, maybe, uh, racking up some more episode 9 point whatevers until we make our way to the live episode 10 hosted in Karlsruhe by Balaj himself, uh, the fridge component of Fridge and Freezer, the world's greatest podcast presenting duo. In the meantime, please Uh add to the mailbag. We already have a few more episodes worth of questions lined up, but if we get some good ones, we can slot them in ahead of time. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in once again. Until next time, stay safe and keep on ticking.